Great. Good morning, everybody. Today, we're going to continue our series in James. I wanted to start by telling you two stories uh, about two people who are good friends of mine. The first one is a lady called Sue. Sue had an incredibly traumatic childhood. And at the end of that childhood, uh, found herself sexually abused by a number of people she should have trusted. She then subsequently went on to form, to be part of a number of support groups locally, and again was abused by many of the men that ran those support groups for her. That has resulted in a life, really, of anxiety and depression. Uh, this lady self-harms to an extreme that I've never experienced. I've been to her house, and there is, it's not unusual to find blood on the furniture, on the walls... It's horrific life that she's, that she's led over the years. As you might imagine, she's never worked. She's been on benefits all of her life. And yet, a few years ago, maybe eight, ten years ago, actually, she began to trust some church members who she allowed into her home to start to clean her home for her. And as those church members started to clean some of the blood off her walls and they got into conversation with her, so she decided she would join that church. And in recent months, and it is months, Sue has taken tentative steps towards faith. And only a few months ago, she told me of how she knows God is strengthening her, in that she feels able to come to church and start to remove the bandages and show us the scars that she's inflicted on herself over the years. That's Sue. My other friend is one that no doubt you'll know. And that's this man. Um, we don't talk as a Langford family about Cliff very much. We've, we've known him for years, and uh, he's a similar age to my parents. He's a good friend of them, and uh, I do speak to him occasionally. We don't talk about it very often because it can be a little awkward and whatever, particularly if you get an ultimate Cliff fan, you know what I'm saying? So we're a bit cautious. Um, but obviously you'll know that poor Cliff has been through some horrendous experience in the last couple of years, accused of abusing uh, many children in that time. And the conversations I've had with him over these last two years, I've known him to be absolutely crushed and destroyed. But I've also seen a glimpse of a man who clings onto his Lord and his Saviour and knows some of the victory that we've been singing about in the songs we've sung this morning. So I've seen him be faithful to God. I've known that God has been faithful to him. He has been wrung out to dry, as he said. But I promise you, in all the conversations I've had with him in the last two years, he's clung faithfully to the Lord. And I pray, as many do, that he will come through that and uh, be able to enjoy what remains of his life. And I can promise you, he's a lovely chap. You know, the lovely chap that comes through is really who he is. So Sue and Cliff, two very, very different people, but both part of what we call church. Both Christians, both believers, both maybe at different stages of that faith, but nevertheless part of this amazing entity we call church. And this morning we're going to continue our series in James, as I said. And at the end of chapter James, chapter 1 rather, James has just written this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Look at that line, to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. Folks, as Christians we are called to be different. We're called to live differently, to think differently. And of course, as is James's way, he's very practical about it. So we come today to James chapter 2, and this is what he says. Now, I wondered if we might read this together. Is that all right? Okay, here we go. So, start away. My brothers and sisters, 
believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you sit in a church meeting, you look around you at the people around you and think, my goodness, what a motley crew. Have you ever had that? And you know, the best example of that has to be where we sit in church together or a church meeting, whatever, we look around and think, what a motley crew. There is honestly nothing other than Jesus that would have brought us together. Yes? (laughs) And in many ways, that's sort of the best expression of church, where the only thing that brings us together, the diversity of who we are, the diversity of background, of experience, whatever, church should be the great leveller. We should come together, united as one people. And yet, of course, we live in a world in which discrimination is rife. You've only had to look at America in this last week to see the state of things. You know, in America this last week, the concern of what President Trump-elect will mean for the Hispanics, for the blacks, for the whites, and especially for the Mexicans. And today we remember those who fought for our freedom. But actually, we've got to recognise that freedom can be pretty ugly too, as people take the opportunity of free speech to express what they really mean. America is in a state of flux. But in many ways, I wonder if the UK is any different, or let's bring it closer to home, is Cornwall any different? Because you see, we all make judgments. There's something innate within us where we all make judgments. They may not be based on race or religion, but they're easily based on people's backgrounds or maybe on their financial status, or maybe on the area of the town in which they live. We have something innate within us that wants to make judgments, and often we do so without thinking. So should we try a little experiment? (laughs) Do we have to? Yes, we do. Here's a little experiment, okay? First off, have a look at this and just think what initial reaction you give, okay? Okay, so let's just walk our way through those. So uh, three little illustrations. Uh, Participation time, folks. Uh, thoughts when you saw that one? Young people. young people. A nice group of young people. All right. This one? Young <laughs> Do you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed. All right. I was a youth worker for many years, and you see what happens. Okay, When you see a picture like this, this is young people. In the newspapers, in the press, on the telly, young people do something marvellous. This lot, youths. Yeah? The press always call them youths. Okay? So we immediately have some sort of response on not just the way they're dressed, but perhaps the attitude that's expressed on the faces as well, yeah? And then we come to this one. Young pe- No, all right. <laughs> do you remember, do you remember when Tony Blair had his uh, hoodie thing? Do you remember when he did the anti-hoodie thing? This was a group of residents from an old people's home who sent this photo to Tony Blair. Absolutely true. <laughs> where, where they dressed up as hoodies and said, go on then, ban us from the lo- local shopping mall. That, that was that. What I hope we've illustrated is that we do make immediate judgments. We have an immediate reaction within us. And as a result, we will inevitably treat people differently. And then James says this. 
If people walk into your church and you treat the poor person differently to the way you treat the rich person, you have become judges with evil thoughts. Good old James, still his blunt self, isn't he, even by chapter 2. You've become judges and you've judged people with evil thoughts. You see, the church should be the place of ultimate equal opportunity. We should be different. We should be the people of God. And we should not judge as the world judges. We should be like our Father God. Deuteronomy ten seventeen. this is the message version, says this. God, your God, is the God of all gods. He's the master of all masters. A God immense and powerful and awesome. Look at this line. He doesn't play favourites. A God who doesn't play favourites. Don't we need to allow the Holy Spirit to reprogram our thinking? That actually we wouldn't play favourites either. So let's be honest. At this point in the talk, how many of you are really sitting there thinking, does John really know Cliff Richard? (laughs) How many of you are really thinking, I wonder if he could get him to sign my calendar? (laughs) Good, I'm glad nobody's thinking that. Well, I've told you about Cliff Richard and my friendship with him, but I've also told you about a hurting, damaged lady who's made tentative steps towards faith, who's realised after years of abuse from people that maybe, just maybe, Jesus wouldn't bring abuse, but would bring love. And yet somehow, more easily, we fall into an excitement about Cliff Richard, don't we? But if I'm honest with you, I don't know Cliff Richard, don't know him from Adam. Never had any contact with Cliff Richard. My parents would have liked to. We'll talk about that separately. But I've not had any contact with Cliff Richard. Don't know him. But I wonder if actually this morning Cliff had come with me to church and Sue had come with me to church. He would have got the most attention. Because, you know, innate within us, there's something like, oh, somebody famous. And yet there's a lady who's fearful of even stepping out of her house And she'd be prepared to come to church because somebody, a few Christians, have demonstrated that maybe God is different. James says this very clearly. Don't show favoritism. To pick up our theme of our our sermon series, don't do it. Don't show favoritism. The call's to be different, radically different, and it's a tough one. So how actually do we change our thinking? Well, James takes this as his starting point. He says, my brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Do you see where he starts? That's our perspective on things. He starts with this whole idea of think like Jesus. As believers in the glorious Jesus, then act differently. Think differently. Allow him to transform us. Keep your eyes upon Jesus and everything will fall into place. So what would it mean for us to think like and act like this glorious Jesus? Well, first off, our perspective needs to remember that he accepts us. We know that God loves us. He loves us despite of who we are. He loves us completely. And ultimately, he loves us all equally. He loves us so much that Jesus' death was worth it. He's done it all. That has to be the greatest level of all, doesn't it? that we all find ourselves, as the Bible says, where we've fallen short of the glory of God. 
And yet Christ died once and for all. But again, even as those truths are said, you know, there's part of us that can struggle with that. Something within us still feels that we need to earn his love. We can come to church on a Sunday and perhaps if we've not had a great week, perhaps if sin has really taken hold in our lives over the past week, then we think, oh, I don't know. Am I really going to feel that God welcomes me today? But then maybe we've had another week altogether and we find ourselves in that place where, hey, we're going for God this week. This is a good week. So God's going to be just that little bit more delighted we're in church on Sunday. Of course he isn't. The great leveller. But the human nature within us, we tend to fall into that. God says that we are all welcome. We're all there. And Jesus models it beautifully. In Matthew 22, the people go to him and they say, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. You pay no attention to who they are. Not only is church the great leveller, but Jesus is the great leveller. Jesus, who is more concerned for people's hearts than their outward appearance. He's more concerned for their hearts than their economic background. He's more concerned for their hearts than their level of education. And then Jesus says, go and do the same. Do we see people that way? Because if favoritism outside of the church is pretty dangerous, then favoritism within the church is deadly and will destroy it. One of the saddest lines you can ever hear, isn't it, is, I went to church, but I just didn't fit. Yeah? I was at a coffee morning in um, Bodmin yesterday in one of the churches, and uh, a lady sat down and I said, oh, you've been here a long time? Yes, I've been this church, been in this church a while. Okay. So she said, I went to another church in the town, which will strictly remain nameless. She said, I went there and nobody spoke to me, so I didn't go back there again. So I said, oh, how long ago was that? She said, 62 years. Not that she was bitter and twisted or anything. (laughs) You know, favoritism destroys churches. And James writes, verse 9, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. You see, if the poor are treated differently to the rich, then we're breaking the law. We're breaking God's holy law. Would we be any different? Because, you know, God doesn't look upon the outward appearance. He looks upon the heart. We know it. We celebrate it. We talk about it all the time. But do we actually live it out as well? You see, because James writes that if we behave in that way where we do make distinctions between people, then actually we slander the noble name of him to whom you belong. As in, we discredit Jesus if we don't greet people as he he would and we should. Because folks, we're part of that upside-down kingdom of God, an amazing kingdom that shows no favoritism. So what should it look like? Well, James goes on to quote what he calls the royal law. What a great phrase, the royal law. The bar is set high. Jesus, of course, sums it up as love God and love others. Love God, love others. Simple, isn't it? Complicated, isn't it? Yes. So simple and yet so complicated. Because the danger is that we rate sins. We rate sins. Much as we like to say, well, all have sinned and it's that great leveller. There's the same times, oh, but they've done that. 
And then we rate people on, oh, they've done that and they're from there or whatever. And there's something within us that just falls into that so easily. And yet we come to a Father God who rates us only as saints as long as we've come and repented of our sin and found Jesus as our personal saviour. We're saints, the great leveller. And of course, folks, we have a message for the world which is for all, not just for those that we like, not just for those who are like us. And ultimately, there's something about those who are like us that we like because we feel they'll be slightly easier. And if they join the church, that'll be great because they're pretty much like us already. Remember that meeting where we sit there and think, goodness, what brings us together other than Jesus? That's the kingdom of God. That's the church we want to see, isn't it? You see, it starts in here. So can I get practical just to end? How many of us, as members of this church, in the last month, say, have said hello to somebody who's new here at Light and Life? And that can be daunting. You know, even within our own church building, the thought of actually going up to somebody and saying, hello, are you new? It's great to see you. can be scary. Come from a church where there were 600 and people always used to go up and say, hello, are you new? Have you been here long? And they go, yes, I've been here 17 years, which always destroyed that argument completely. But nevertheless, people went and asked. We need to ask. We need to step out of our comfort zone and say, okay, are you new? Let's up it a little bit more. In line with what James is saying, when did we last approach someone within our church who looked very different to us? In fact, we might even know their life is very different to us. And yet we simply went up and asked them how they're doing. You see, because it starts in here. As James says, it starts with the body of Christ, if we can model that between us. Because we need to allow God to take us out of our comfort zone, to interact with those we might not normally relate to. Because it's not just in here. Of course it's not just in here. But it's out there as well. It's a message that reaches way beyond our church wall to the kid who sits alone at lunchtime. It's the workmate who just doesn't seem to fit. It's the woman at the gate, at the school gate, who's dropped her children off and then sort of stands there a bit like a lemon because nobody really quite relates to her. And James says, don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. Let's remember the God who we follow because he didn't show favoritism. He chose you and he chose me. And then he chose us to go and share this most amazing, levelling message with this world. That we might share his grace and love with others. That we may show no favoritism, but we may see the gospel change lives as he changes our hearts too.